Ephesians chapter 5, as Paul now instructs you and instructs me and informs the church at Ephesus then, hey, you're saved now. No way. Who would have thunk you could get saved? Don't raise your hand. But is the person next to you a trophy of God's grace? You know what I'm saying? Like, you got saved? No way, dude. And, or maybe the person in the mirror you saw this morning, you're like, you? Not you. Maybe them, but never you. Listen, and he writes to the church at Ephesus saying, you're saved now? What a miracle that you were out, now you're in, you were lost, now you're found, you were dead, and he made you alive and sat you with him? Oh, that's so legit. In chapters one through three, he goes over the preciousness of their identity, who they are in Christ. And now he segues and says, because of your identity, it's all brand new. You got a new first name. You got a new last name. You got a new soul. You got a new everything. Because your identity changed, now your activity changed, which ultimately leads to a destiny that changes. It's all good. And so he zeroes in in chapters 4, 5, and 6 and says, this is now your new activity. You now are different as a Christian. You're different in God's eyes. You're different in your own eyes. You're different in your friend's eyes. That's for sure. But now you're also different in the way you walk. Let me just ask this simple question. How many of you guys are absolutely tonight? You're so, you're just thrilled. You're not perfect and you know it and so do we. You're not perfect, but you're thrilled at what God has done compared to your BC days. That is before Christ days. Like, you can't believe who you are now. You know who you were without Christ. I know who I was without Christ. I was going down the wrong road fast, foot on the gas pedal, not looking around. And the Lord stopped my soul and said, Luke, pull over and give me your life. And, and listen, I know who I was without Christ. So do you. Now with Christ, who am I? Let me just ask this question. Have you changed drastically in your forward activity, momentum, and destiny since your identity has changed? Are you a radically different person? Are you, most, some of you have very mm, in, uh, intense stories and testimonies that are obvious. Others of you, you know what happened in your heart when God got a hold of it. But Paul makes sure we don't miss out on the activity in order that our destiny would be exactly where God takes us because of our new identity. He speaks to us not as an employer would speak to an employee, but as a brother would speak to a brother, as a son would receive from a father, as somebody in the family. As a matter of fact, so as I read this portion of scripture, I'm going to read seven verses, verses one through seven of chapter five, and then we're going to pray, and then I'm going to preach, and then we're going to let the Holy Spirit convict us all. You came to church tonight, you're going to get convicted, okay? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. As a matter of fact, I oftentimes uh, love reading my Bible when I'm doing things perfect in my life. I'm just walking good. I'm not messing around over here, and I'm not yelling at my kids over there, and everything's intact. I'm, I'm going to read the Bible. I just feel like me and the Lord are like this. Yeah. Then there's other times where maybe I'm in the flesh or a little aggressive, making some decisions, kind of going hard. I'm like, I don't want to read the Bible because God's going to convict me. <laughs> God's going to tell me, tell me to do something. Or he's going to remind me, and I, I don't want to. Listen, the Lord blesses you with conviction. It is an actual blessing that the Lord would prick your heart tonight and would open up your spirit because he knows what's coming down the pike. He knows what the things you're holding on to will yield for you. And he says, ooh, put that down. You don't want to grill that up and put that in your body. Throw that in the trash. That's beyond the date of purchase. You know, the, he says, I love you too much. Don't do it. And so his word tonight will say those things to us. It'll say, don't do these things and do do these things because I love you. 
because you're my kid and I want the best for you. So that being said, look at verse 1. He says, therefore, remember therefore is always there for a reason. The therefore is therefore because of all that God has done for us. Because we're alive now, we're not dead. Because we're bumper bowling with Jesus, we can't throw strikes. He's laid down his grace in our gutters. He saved us and because of that, he says, here's how you should now walk. Be imitators of God as dear children. I'm going to keep reading, but I just need you to get this. He just grabs a hold of our heart, and he says, man, the whole thing is summed up in just doing what God would do. Just imitate him. Look to God and ask those questions. Is this pleasing to him? Is this something that the Lord would command or direct or teach in his scriptures? Is this something that would bring him honor? I'm going to imitate God. And he says, do it as dear children, not as employees, not as servants, not as soldiers. He says, do it as a kid. Not just as a kid, but you are a kid. You're God's child. How much more? I'll tell you what, I got three kiddos, and, and by and large, they really think I'm the cat's meow. Okay? They, really, they really love me. They really do. And most of them, I got three of them, they, they try and emulate what I do. They imitate me, and they watch me, and they study me, and they love what dad does. And so that puts me under a lot of pressure to make sure what I do is indeed uh, awesome, and what I do is something I want them to do. God says the same thing. He says, hey, just look at God. And when you love him and look at him and then do what he says to do, you're going to be taken down the right path. You're going to be right where you want to go. So even right now, before I keep reading, you ask yourself this. Is everything you're doing right now something that God would do too? I don't know if that hit you hard or not. Is everything you're doing right? Exactly what he says. Imitate God. Imitate God, and most of you are like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to imitate my dog, you know. I'm trying, I'm trying. I'll get that. I'll get there eventually, but I'm just trying to get a stop eating my own vomit, you know. That's what I'm trying to do. And listen, he says, no, you're his kid, and as his kid, guess what? You have a couple things. You have access to him and attributes of him. You're really his child. You're his daughter. You're, you're his son. You're, you're connected to him, and you're going to be just like him one day. It's a guarantee. He said, you be holy even as my father is holy. You be holy as I'm holy. You'll be holy. It's a command. It's a promise. And when you start running through your life decisions, is this something that would honor God? Immediately, you begin to make those decisions well as opposed to poor. He goes on to say this, though. He says, and walk in love, man, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He says, a Christian, your new activity leading to your new destiny is going to be marked by love. It's going to be marked by a service, a sacrifice, an offering, an aroma, a fragrance, like Jesus loved. And if you're wondering if you're a loving person right now, <laughs> laughter over here, just get to know Jesus. Get to know the red letters. Man, Jesus was so on fire for people and so loving. Last Wednesday night at Hope in the Park, we studied John chapter 4, where Jesus on purpose went off his beaten path to go to Samaria to love an unlovable Samaritan. Not just a Samaritan, but a woman, and not just a woman, but a shady lady. She had had five husbands and was living in adultery with one that she wasn't married to. And Jesus said, I'm going to go love her. I'm going to go give her something she looks for right now, which is that living water. And I ask you this question, are you walking in love? Now, how fun is it to grow up and imitate God, do what God would do, walk in love? And he goes into verse 3 now. This might be where the train jumps track for some of you guys. Verse 3 says, but fornication. 
and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as a fitting for saints. And he starts using these words that describe all sorts of unbiblical, extra-biblical sexual activity. Fornication, that's sex before marriage. Filthiness and uncleanness he'll use. That's all kinds of sexual relationships outside of what the Bible says is okay. He says, don't do that. You're a Christian now. Look like God. Love like God. And don't look like the world. And don't love like the world. He says to stop these things, and he'll go into why that is. As a matter of fact, he uses this word covetousness. We'll talk about how that commingles with the things that we choose to do. Don't raise your hand, and don't squirm, and don't look at anybody right now. But have you ever chosen to do your own thing and only realized it was the wrong thing? Okay, it, it, that's what we do. We choose to do our own thing. I'm going to try it my way, Lord. This is how I feel. This is what I want. This is what I'm after, and you get what you're after, and get what you want, and get what you feel, only to realize, eh, that's not what I wanted. That didn't do it for me. Not only did that not do it for me, that kind of hurt my soul. That kind of hurt my heart, not just my heart, but the other person's too, and this whole thing became such a ah, compounded problem, and the Lord with his grace and bumpers in your gutter says, yeah, let's go. Let's get back now. Come, come with me. Walk with me. And he woos you back. He says this in verse 4. He says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. He says, don't use your mouth for potty talk either. Not just your members, your body, what you do with it. Clean that up. But he says, don't let all this filth come out of your mouth because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth is actually an indicator for what's bubbling deep down within. When you're saying stuff or yelling or, or screaming or cussing or telling dirty jokes or maybe your ears are full of stuff, when that's happening, it's just an indicator of where your heart is. And the Lord says, hey, let's clean that up too. Let's not go there because, by the way, <laughs> did you know that dirty jokes and coarse jesting, all of those are a gateway drug to dirty living? You guys realize that? Like when you just continue to hear things that the rappers are saying or that the radio's dropping or the MCs or Spike TV or Family Guy, all this stuff, eventually it will wear you down and you'll find yourself in a compromised character. He says, let's not do that. And I want you to remind yourself right now, this isn't so you can get saved or so you can stay saved. This is because you are saved. Therefore... Now we walk in love. Therefore, now we imitate God. Therefore, now we don't do these things because our difference is inside our hearts and it's seen in our actions. He says this in verse 5. This is where it gets real serious. He says, for this you know, that no fornicator or unclean person, and the two words there uh, are translated whoremonger, uh, and the Greek word is porneus, which is all kinds of sexual improprieties and inconsistencies and sins outside of the biblical realm. This you know that no fornicator or unclean person nor covetous man, listen, here's the key, who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I'm just going to pause and let the words sit. And then he says this in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Father, in Jesus' name, now as we study your word, we pray that it would become to us, Lord, a light for our path. It would become, Lord, illumination for our feet. 
and that in Jesus' name, Lord, you would use it to correct us and direct us and reprove us and, and instruct us in the things of God that every man and every woman here would be thoroughly equipped for every good work in God. Lord, we pray that your word, which is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, would have access to the thoughts and intents of our hearts, and you would do in us. And show us, Lord. I just pray for sweet, glorious, clean, pure conviction to reside tonight in the house of God, that every man and every woman would say, yep, I'm not perfect, and I don't even know if I can be, but God is right. God is right. And that everyone would agree and confess, God is right. And I'm not right, and I may be messed up tonight, and I may be in a relationship that's all messed up, and I may be having thoughts that are messing with me, but I'm not the right one. He is. And God will use that. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, make our hearts pliable, make our minds open, and I pray again for your help to teach this tonight in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Amen. I'll tell you what, I love God's word when I'm walking right with him. And I want God to just speak to me and remind me how good I am and how much I'm loved and how stoked he is. And I, I love it when God's promises are spoken over me. And, and I'll tell you what, God's word, though, is it's a double-edged sword. It does that. It cuts through the lies of hatred and fear and insecurity and says, you are special, you are desired, you are highly favored and chosen, and that's one edge of the sword. But the other edge of the sword cuts in and says, hey, there's some things in your life I'd like to address, some things in your life I'd like to remove, and some things I would like to wake you up over. And I quoted in my prayer, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, which says that the word of God is alive and active. It's powerful. It's able to divide between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It pierces even the division of the soul and the spirit. God's word, and so as we study it tonight, I would pray that the Lord would have his way in your heart. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16. This is Paul's exhortation to young Timothy. He says, for all scripture, everyone say all scripture. Even the Old Testament? Yeah. All scripture is given by God by inspiration, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for construct, in correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wow. He goes on in the next couple of verses to tell Tim, therefore, preach the word, bro. Don't hold back. He goes on in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 to say there's going to be times. There's going to be people. There's going to be churches that don't want to hear it. They're going to clam up their ears and say, don't tell that to me. And he says, man, the word of God, it will instruct you and it will correct you and it will reprove you. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, he instructs Timothy, convince, rebuke, and exhort the people to get into God's word. I like the word convince. He says convince people. I've got three kids, and it is my goal to convince them that I'm right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I tell them what's going on, and they just kind of look at me sometimes. And they push back and say, look, I'm your dad. I know what I'm talking about, at least in this area here. And I'm right. Like, I convince them. I said, follow me. Trust me. It's going to be good. And God says about his word, it needs to convince you tonight that he knows what he's talking about. That he understands who you are, how he's made you, and where the route you'll choose will take you. And he says, hey, hey, I got plans for you. I want to do some cool stuff. And we take detours and we take bypasses and we take different routes. And the Bible says that if you have an ear to hear, you'll be blessed. It's easy to know what God's word says, but not always easy to know why it says what it says or that it's important to you or important to me. 
And oftentimes, God's word is just so fun to read. Sometimes, though, it's like him trying to wake us up. It's him trying to get us out of the way of danger. Reminds me of when I lived right down the road here in 2010. We moved here in August, actually, 2010. August 29th is our anniversary of moving here six years ago. And we rented a little condo down the road here while we built a house in Agate Beach. And it was three stories high. And we lived there for about 10 months or so. And it was right during that time where the Japanese earthquake happened there in Japan. And there was all those tsunami warnings here. And the tsunami warning was happening in Newport. I remember it vividly because I slept through most of it. And as it was happening, the sirens were going off. You know, evacuate. Our house at the time there in South Beach was an elevation of 10, 10 foot, 10 foot above sea level. Apparently that's dangerous or something like that. And so the, the fire department was at our house. Get out of the house. Get, you know, knocking on the door. Get out of the house. I slept through all of that. And so my dad drove over from where he lived and was banging on the door, ringing the doorbell. I slept through all of that. And so he called repeatedly over and over, two, three in the morning, text, 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 call, call, call. Slept through all of that until four in the morning. Morning. Four in the morning, my neighbors, right next door, we shared a wall, was Eddie and Katie Townsend. And right next door, Eddie and Katie Townsend began to have a party about 4.30 in the morning, four in the morning. And they were partying, yelling and screaming and kicking stuff and throwing stuff around. And I woke up and I thought, man, what a bunch of idiots. They don't have kids yet. They don't know. They're being so loud. He's pounding, partying at four in the morning. So I grabbed my phone to call him, to tell him to shut up. And as I look at my phone there, I see 50 missed calls and a thousand text messages. Get out of the house. And I tuned my ears into what he was saying. I could hear not him and his wife partying in their room next door at four in the morning, but instead pounding on my wall. Look, crash doll. Like the house was on fire and it literally almost was, but it was a flood coming. That being said, I woke up, got our kids, jumped in the car and took off to higher ground because the evacuation was happening. Listen, God's word's pretty clear. Like it is. It's just clear. It tells us what to do. But oftentimes we don't know how serious it is. And we wonder like, well, that's pretty old school. <laughs> that was obviously written before the internet. They didn't have Wikipedia back then when they were putting this stuff together. And, you know, God doesn't know. Listen, and there's this logic that comes to our mind. Does God really know what he's talking about, especially as it pertains to sex? Doesn't God come across as a little prudish when it comes to sex in here? Like, let me just clue you in. Did you know that God invented sex? And he's like, hey, this is from me for you. It's going to be legit. You know, Woo! You know, this is do it right. Don't do it wrong. It'll take you places. But this is, this is from my creation to you. And God says, this is how it's to be done. And if you do it outside of this realm, it's only going to hurt you. It's only going to hurt you. As a matter of fact, the Proverbs say about sexual improprieties and sexual sin, can a man take fire from the bonfire and hug it real tight and not get burned? It's a rhetorical question because it's a funny picture. Like, no, I'm pretty sure he's going to get smoked. You know, he's going to get torched. He says the same thing. When you do sin your way, it's going to leave a mark. It's going to hurt. It's going to burn. You're going to smell funny. The whole thing's going to, your hoodie's going to get all messed up and everything's going to get all jacked up when you do it your way. Now, here's the deal, though. There is what's called or considered the letter of the law, and then there's the spirit of the law. The letter of the law is very generic and plain and kind of cold and clear. It's just do this, don't do that. It's very clear. It's the letter of the law. Then there's the spirit of the same law. The spirit is the why of the what. The what is what to do or what not to do. Super easy to understand that. The why, though. Why should I not do this? The why, the spirit, the love behind it, the intention that the Lord would say, if you do this, 
oh, it's going to be awesome. And if you don't do this, ooh, it's going to come back to haunt you. And the Lord would ask you and ask me to not just know the, law, the letter of the law, but the spirit behind it. As a matter of fact, when I used to inspect homes here in Lincoln County to make a little extra income, I would go to these homes of 20, 30, 40, sometimes 60 a day and just take some pictures and answer some questions on my app there for these homes that were going through financial foreclosure. And, and when I would go to some of the outlying towns in Lincoln County, such as Otis, and I would go there and, and go down these interesting roads to properties and find properties, and I would find signs that had the letter of the law uh, put there real clearly. The letter of the law was do not trespass. And the spirit of the law was also indicated in some pictures that they had also printed upon these signs that showed pictures of revolvers pointing with the barrel at my head. This is why you shouldn't trespass here. You'll die if you do. And I not only knew the letter of the law, don't show up here, but the spirit was, you'll die if you do. And I learned to drive in reverse real well. You know, and I'm out of here. Don't want to die today. And when the Lord says for you and for me to do something, as believers, he's already gone to great lengths to save us, to make us imitators of God as dear children, to have us to walk in love. And then he says, and also careful with these bonfire sexual sins that will burn you. Careful with this stuff that will actually undo you. It says in the Proverbs chapter 6 that the man or woman who commits adultery or any kind of sexual sin actually destroys your own soul. It actually undoes who you are in the very fabric of your nature. And I don't know about you, but I have not always been perfect in my orientation moving forward. And I have experienced this personally. What the Bible says about who we are as men and women is absolutely true. And as I keep preaching and go through this, I would ask you tonight to just conclude with that simple submission to God. Not to promise to be perfect, but to declare God is perfect. He's absolutely right. And I still have my perversions, and I still have my bent-up ideas, and I still have my proclivities and my sins, but he's right. And you surrender to the Lord and say, move me forward. Change me from the inside out and give me the steps. I need to not make a mistake. It's the letter versus the spirit of the law, though. When I was 11 years old, I lived in Minnesota, and my parents were raising us in a Christian environment, homeschooled, and my sister and I, she was 13. And I remember they began to tell us about the birds and the bees about age 10 and 11. And I was like, a little late for this talk. You know, we kind of already figured this one out. We, you know, I've been, I've been to my friend's house and seen, you know, I've been exposed to stuff at that age. And so those of you raising kids, I'll tell you what, beat them to the punch. And I remember my parents were bringing us up to speed, at least to the best of their ability. And their intention was, is to have us enter into this desire and this contract, if you would to honor God with our bodies. And they actually convinced me as a 10 or 11-year-old to sign this contract that said I would remain a virgin until my day of marriage. And as a 10 or 11-year-old kid, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to do just that. That's what I wanted to do. And I signed, I said, I'm gonna do my best to do this. And I committed to stay a virgin until the day of my marriage. It was the letter of the law. It was a, an easy goal, easy parameters. And I stayed that course for as long as I could. And, and I worked hard. I was even a graduated senior out of high school, and I had, I'd made it as far as I possibly could. But then, most of you know the story, eventually my resistance to sin and temptation would go down. But listen, one thing my parents didn't help me to really understand, beyond the letter of the law, the high goal, okay, stay a virgin until you get married, was the why. 
that it was indeed so important to my soul, so important to my future marriage, so important to my relationship with God. And I knew generically all of those things matter, but there's a connection. And so when God, who's not a prude, <laughs> says to you and to me, hey, there's a right way and a wrong way. And if you do it my way, it's going to be legit. And if you do it your way, it's going to be bumpy until we get to the destination. It's going to be rough sledding. You're going to need to replace some parts when you get there. Follow me. Trust me in this. I'll tell you what, why does God care? Why does he give us instructions like this? Because he cares. You've heard the illustration before of the teenager who has to go home at night with a curfew and he's bummed about it. Ah, I got to go home. It's 10 o'clock. Parents don't want me to be home at 10 o'clock. And the other kid says, really? My parents don't care when I come home. And you could actually break that sentence in half and say, my parents don't care. They don't care, and that's really the implication there. When the parents or the authority figures don't make rules, it's because there's not care. God looks at you and looks at me and says, no, I actually, <laughs> I actually care. I care deeply. And so I'm gonna, I, I, I see what's coming. I see God, in the form of Jesus Christ, walked the earth and was in all ways tempted yet without sin. He knows the pitfalls. He knows the pull. He knows the perversity of our culture. He knows it and navigated those waters flawlessly and then died sacrificially and now woos you and calls out to you to follow him obediently saying hey you don't have to go that route if you do go that route i have healing for you and i have grace and forgiveness right now just submit your life to me and i will put back the years that the locusts have eaten but don't go that route because I, I love you. And the first thing he has us to do is just to focus on him. I love that. The first activity, he says, verse one, be imitators of God as dear children. Right now, did you know that you're imitating somebody? You guys think you're original, but you're not. You're not. You're imitating somebody. You know, you put on that hoodie or you put on that shirt or you bought your clothes at Great, Amer Great American Pizza. There's this, there's this pizza shop called Gap, Great American Pizza, but I meant to say Gap, you know, the Gap clothing store. Don't buy your clothes at a pizza place. <laughs> Some of you do. You, you, you imitate somebody, though, whether it's the Gap model or the A&E model or the Goodwill model, you know, you're buying your clothes, and we're we just do it. Your kids imitate you as parents, and man, how many of you guys look a little bit like your parents, a little bit, like your mom or dad? Okay, by the way, all of you do. You just resemble them. You imitate them, and he says to imitate God as dear children. And the cool thing is, is that the Bible says that you will one day be like him. You'll actually be just like God. You'll be holy just like him. He says, right now, start copying him, imitate him, love him. And by the way, what you love, what you worship, you will ultimately become more like. So be very careful what you're trying to be because you will indeed become that at least in uh, fractional margins. And he says, do that to the Lord. Seek him, enjoy him and love him. And he goes on to say, walk in love as Christ also, verse two, has loved us and given himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. This is pretty much a no brainer. You're a Christian now, you're bumper bowling for Jesus. You can't get strikes out. You're just, you're good to go. So make sure you walk in love. Jesus said it this way, by your love one for another, they're actually gonna know you're a Christian. It's not just your holiness, that also will indicate that you are living for somebody beside yourself, but it's your love. It's your love for other people. And I don't know about you, but he uses this illustration of walking, walk in love. It's something that you choose to do no matter what gets in front of you. How many of you have a route you take to work or to school or to your place of business or to your, it's just a route. It's the, no matter what gets in front of you, you still do it. And if you're from Newport, you actually have 
back roads that you travel during the summertime, those are still your routes to get places, I understand. He says your new route, no matter what gets in your way as a Christian, is love. Even if there's a detour, even if there's traffic, even if there's a horrible driver. Are the drivers horrible this year? Man, Lord, come quickly. It's just crazy. You know? He says your route as a Christian is one of love. It's actually who you choose to be. Walking, walking, it's what you do, it's your rhythm, it's your purpose, it's your point. <sighs> Here's the deal, though. He gives us some adjectives lest we make this up on our own. He says, do it as Christ, as an offering, as a sacrifice, and as an aroma. First thing he says is do it like Jesus did it. And if you ever want to know, am I loving, just look how Jesus loved. And Jesus came into the world that rejected him and pursued them. Jesus came into a world that spit upon his face and then instantaneously prayed that God would forgive them for what they were doing. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, John chapter 13, moments before they would all betray him and would leave him and deny him. I'll tell you what, sometimes I just like to love lovable people. How's that going for you? You know, like the, the people that are easy to love, so fun. I just love being around them. But it's the unlovable people that are hard. I find it really hard to love horrible people. Do you guys, you know, it's hard. So too, the Lord says, yeah, that's how I loved you. You guys were horrible. The Bible says that in this, God's love is demonstrated that while you were yet horrible, Christ died for you. While you were yet sinning, while you were yet going gangbusters, anti-Christ, God demonstrated his love for you and died. Wouldn't it be radical as if this church became known for its love? Not just for each other, that's a good place to start, but for the people that are unlovable, the people that are cantankerous, the people that are mean, the people that reject you, the people that may even hurt you. Wouldn't that be radical to, to put on the garments of praise, to put on Jesus Christ, to put on who he is into love? And he says it's an offering. He says it's something you give to him. We all know what the word offering means. It's what you bring to the Lord. As a matter of fact, the Bible instructs us to bring our offerings to God, to write our checks. And when most of you guys write checks to God, you write, it's an offering. I'm just going to give 10% of my first fruits. This is what me and my family do. We just give an offering to the Lord. But it's easy sometimes to give an offering to the Lord and to write a check and then to be a jerk. He said, oh, I've given my money. Showed up to church. Now I get to go out there and be a jerk. And he says, no, no, no. The offering continues. It's an offering of love. Yeah, you should give your offering of your treasure, but you should also, as unto God, you're an ambassador of Jesus, an ambassador of the king. He says, I want, can you go love the people around me? You're like, how do you mean, like push them down and stuff? He's like, no, 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 love them. Love them, come under them, come behind them, come in front of them, serve them. And that will be an offering to the Lord. He also says it's a sacrifice, that it's not easy. It's not something you do when it doesn't, come out as easy to do. It's a sacrifice that you serve the people around you. When Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he said, even sinners love their friends that love them back. That's easy. He said, I want you to love the people that will never love you back. That's what's going to mark you as a Christian. And so if you want to be a Christian here tonight and you want to walk as an ambassador of Christ, he says to walk in love sacrificially and as an offering and as Christ would do it. And he says, lastly, that it's a fragrance, that it kind of smells. Like there's something about you. You're just a loving person. You just have this fragrance about you. Everywhere you go, there's this joy that you bring, this, this love that you bring. And it's been said before that some people bring joy wherever they go. Other people bring joy whenever they go. You know? <laughs> How, how would you be described? 
The fruit of the Spirit, this is probably the coolest point you could even understand in this verse, in verse 2. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And the attributes of love are peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, meekness, and self-control, against which there is no law, that is, there's no limit. There's no limit to love. You can't say, well, okay, how much love should I give my spouse, Lord? Is there a limit to this? <laughs> no, no, no. Keith, how much love should I give to my neighbor? Like, when do they cut off? He's like, no, no, no. How much love should I give to my kids? When should I? No, no, no. Love. There is no law. The fruit of God in your life is love. And as you imitate him, as you love him, you're going to be more fruity. <laughs> in, a good, in a good way. In a good way. Uh, the fruit of the spirit is love. Now, here's the, here's the other side of the coin. Because the whole world would agree with me on everything I just said. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love is, love is great. There, we need more love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just. Anyway, sorry. Love. Sorry, yeah, sorry about that. You're like, stop it. You're not loving us by singing that. Love. And you've heard this before. Maybe you've said it. Love is my religion. You ever heard that before in today's crazy culture? Like, I'm just a loving person. That's how I'm going to make it through this thing. That's how I'm going to be identified. That's my God. I'm going to love people. I'm going to be nicer than you are mean, okay, which makes me good, okay? That's my comparison. Love is my religion. And I would understand half of the coin says, yep, love is what we're known by. But then he jumps over to verse 3 and talks about now our holiness. And he says, it's not just your love. That can't be your only religion, but you've got to walk in a way where your vessel, your body has been cleansed, has been set aside, set apart, has been given to God, consecrated and holy for his purposes. And the world that would say, love is my religion, cannot say that holiness is what they're pursuing. And I've had people say before, I love the people around me and I'm at peace with God. And I say, that's awesome. Is God at peace with you? Because you might be at peace with God, but if God is not at peace with you through your sins being forgiven, through his holiness being given to you, through reconciliation, then actually you're a child of wrath. And the wrath of God abides on you and you find yourself, yes, loving, maybe even more so than South Beach Church. Isn't that weird how there's people, secular, non-believing people that are actually more loving than anybody here. And you're like, what do, how does, how can, how? listen, it's a two-sided coin. It's not just love. It is love, but it's not just love. It's also your holiness. It is your understanding of who God is and how our lives are to be lived. And so he gives us now chapter 3. This, of course, falls into the do not do list that we studied last week. He says, but fornication in all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. He says this premarital sex idea or sex outside of marriage or any kind of pornography or lust or wanton thinking, all of this perversity, and I would just say this so you know who I'm talking to today, I'm talking to you, all of us have a level of perversion within our soul, we're just broken from the inside out. He says, let that not even be named among you. It doesn't matter what you call your perversion or what level it is or how you're walking in it. He says, this is not to be part of your lifestyle, this uncleanness and filthiness and fornication. Notice how he lumps in this idea of covetousness right there with it. I think it's very key. I wouldn't if I was putting sins in a list, fornication, uncleanness, uh, coveting. I wouldn't put that there. You guys know coveting is one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. And it says that you shouldn't want what isn't yours. You shouldn't want what you don't need. You shouldn't want what you already have enough of. It's a sin. I was thinking, and I just think, what's that? What's the big deal there? Here's the big deal, and here's why it's listed with these sexual sins. Because when you justify wanting what you shouldn't want, wanting what you shouldn't have, 
wanting what's not right. Okay, all of us want those things, just so you know. Don't think you're anywhere safe in this group. All of us want stuff we shouldn't want. But when you justify it and you covet on purpose and say, this is what I want, guess what will eventually happen? You'll get it. Eventually, your covetousness will lead to compromise every single time. When you want what's not yours and don't repent of it, when you want what you shouldn't have and don't deal with it, when you want something that's illicit and don't confess it, you'll get it one way, shape, form, or another. You'll get it either in deed, ouch, or you'll get it in spirit, internally, in your mind, in fantasies. You'll get it. But when you say, no, I'm not going to covet that junk. I'm not going to covet another man's wife. I'm not going to covet another person. I'm not going to covet something outside of the biblical direction of what sex is to be like. I'm not going to do that. Even though my brokenness wants it sometimes. I have, have you ever had a weird thought that would actually put you in jail if we all knew it? <laughs> Thanks for being honest. You all laugh because, yeah, it's like, man, it's some of the things that go through my mind, I'm like, I'm so glad I don't speak out loud or auto text isn't working with my head. You know, like, send that text out to all my friends. No. And he says, yeah, take those thoughts captive. Take that stuff. And I, again, just would level the playing field. Each, one, each and every one of us, male and female alike, are broken. We live in a world where Satan has his way and whispers to you and says, this is going to make you happy, and this is what you deserve, and you should want this. And then you take your want-tos, and you filter them through God's got-tos, and you say, those don't match. Verse 3 tells me I can't do that anymore. Verse 3 tells me I have to put this down. I have to walk away from this. That's the letter of the law. I hope you know the spirit of the law because God has plans for your life. God has intentions for your soul. God wants to use you in ways that you are only usable if you're reserved for him in that way. And he knows Satan's plan for your life to kill, to steal, to destroy, and to lie to you every single time. And so whatever contract you have in your mind right now to justify some covetousness that will ultimately lead to a sexual deviation, tonight's the night just to repent. <laughs> Whoops, my bad, I don't want that anymore. And when it comes back again and you want to, you repent again and you confess again, and it is a lifestyle of holiness. He goes on to say, it's not just in your members, your body, that is what you do, but it's also in what you say through your mouth. He goes on in verse 4, read it with me. He says, neither, if this is not to be named among you, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Wow. He says, if you're a Christian, you can't have a potty mouth. Have you realized that the world has a potty mouth? You guys there with me? And it is just absolutely nuts. Primetime television programming, uh, radio stations, broadcasting. What's available now on the internet is getting darker and dirtier and weirder by the generation. And what they're approving now of PG-13 ratings used to be an R rating. And what used to be an R rating used to be a different rating and it's just getting worse and worse and it's not getting better and better and he says these things ought not to be part of what your lifestyle because dirty jokes and dirty talking and even dirty listening i'm not trying to be a prude here but all of these things are a gateway drug to actual dirty living it will ultimately bind you down and grind down your compromise and your character and eventually and initially and ultimately you'll find yourself doing things you never thought you would ever do he says i love you too much for that don't put garbage in your ears. Don't have garbage come out of your mouth. The Bible says in Proverbs 18 that the power of the tongue has both life and death, your choice. You can either bring life to a situation or you can bring death to a situation. God would say as a Christian, redeem the time. Don't be speaking coarse. Don't be speaking in filthiness. Don't be using your mind and your eyes and your mouth and your ears for those things. 
And let me give you what is considered to be called uh, dirty joke theology. Why is this important? Why are shows like The Family Guy and, and Simpsons and, and Double Innuendos and Saturday Night Live and all things that I've watched that you've watched too and we've laughed at in these clips here and snippets, why are these things so dangerous, this filthy talking? Because all of this coarse jesting and filthy talking ultimately is aimed at the holy temple of God. It, it's aimed at where God dwells in our person. And it's ultimately aimed to dumb down your opinion of the body and its normal bodily functions, the way we interact with each other or those things we do in private. And it takes all of those things that, by the way, the animal kingdom doesn't make fun of, okay? The rest of the universe doesn't highlight and point out and make jokes about, you know, knock, knock, who's there and all that stuff. And it takes then what God has given to us as sacred and as holy and as right and as perfect, and it ultimately desensitizes you to what God would have us to be a gift for you and for me to explore with him and it'll ultimately just tweak your ears and it will sear your conscience and it will move you away from the things that God wants for you and the more you're likely to listen to things that degrade the human body and degrade the sanctity of our private activities ultimately you're going to find yourself in some sort of sexual compromise I guarantee it why would he say don't do this stuff? Because it's going to wear you down. I like his solution, though. It's so fun. This is actually where it gets good for a second, not just the don't do, don't do, don't do. He says, but instead of having a filthy mind and a filthy mouth and filthy ears, give thanks. <laughs> do you know how to be the happiest person in the world? This is a secret. The happiest person in the world right now, I'm going to tell you, is to be thankful. Immediately, I'm, just, I'm not even messing with you, because right now you're looking for happiness. Everywhere you go, like, oh, maybe this person will do it. Maybe this relationship will do it. Maybe that scene from that movie will do it. Maybe this thing, this double standard, maybe this will make me happy. We're all just looking for stuff, and God says, you know how to be happy? Be happy. That's <laughs> a trick. Give thanks. Thank God for what he's done for you. Just start to worship him, and all of a sudden, you'll find that frown turn upside down, and you'll be the happiest person in the world when you begin to give thanks. Satan wants to take you down. Satan wants to destroy you and grind you out. Years and years ago, I read this book called Every Man's Battle, and it's a book written for men in regards to sexual sins and how to overcome them. And in that book, it gives three tools. They say this is the best way to overcome sexual sin and temptation. Number one, when you're faced with it, look away, okay? Just don't even look. I remember I reading that book about 12 years ago. I lived in Ashland, downtown during the summertime, and I was like this, you know, looking everywhere. I was like, you know, poking my eyes out, like, ah, you know, ah. I actually had a ministry friend, Jeremy Haskell. When we would go downtown together to play hacky sack and evangelize people, he would take off his glasses, and he was nearly legally blind. He would take his glasses off. I'm like, dude, why are you always taking your glasses off? He's like, so I don't have to look away, man. I can't see anything. In this, this book, though, it taught us guys and gals, too, whatever the sin and temptation is, just learn to look away. Learn to, to click away or move away. Just make that your reaction time. The second tool, though, the second tool was really fun. The second tool was to immediately go into thanksgiving for God's saving you. Thank God for saving you, for forgiving you of your sins. So look away and, say, and thank God and worship him. And then the third tool they said to implement into this battle for every man and every woman too is to pray for those who you love that they would walk in victory that day as well. So you'd be looking away, thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. And I pray for, and you would pray for five people that you loved. And I found myself just constantly thanking God for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. I'm saved still. I'm not messing with you. I actually remember, and I'm getting real honest tonight, that's okay. I remember the first time that I saw a gal walking down the road not wearing enough clothes, and I looked away, and right out of my mouth, I said, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And it, it dawned on me, whoa, I did it. 
It was a natural reaction. I retrained my mind instead of taking a second look or doing the things that the devil wants me to do. Instead of doing that, I began to worship and thank God and pray for the people in my life that I would walk in victory too. He says the same thing here. He says, instead of being filthy and being carnal and being coarse and being weird, man, start to thank God. It's what you were designed to do. It's what will really yield for you that joy and that peace and that purpose. Here's the deal. Let me clarify right now. None of this is being said to non-Christians. This is being said to Christians, not to become a Christian, but because you are a Christian. Hey, you're a Christian now. Your identity is in Christ. What he's really saying, the moral appeal of the whole New Testament is to just be a Christian, to be in Christ, to be in Jesus. And when you're in Jesus, you won't do these things and you will do those things. It's really that radical. This isn't so you can get saved or even stay saved. He says, do these things because you are saved. You are already set free. Your past doesn't define you anymore. Your future is secure. Your purpose is now. It's legit. And there are so many people, young people especially, middle-aged people, older people too, that are wondering, what's my purpose? What's my identity? What, where do I take my cues from in this thing called life? Who do I work for? What's, what's my reputation? And when you ask those questions to the world, and you ask those questions to yourself or to your peers, you're going to get the wrong answer every time. But when you ask those questions, what's my purpose? Where's my identity? Where am I going? How's this working? And God tells you who you are and what's happening. Oh, yeah, yeah. Life's fun. Now I know what to do and I know what, to, what not to do. And I know the spirit of the law and the letter of the law also. So I'm not saying this to non-Christians. This is to Christians. As a matter of fact, in verse 5, he kind of clarifies it. And you just see the difference here. He says, for this you know that no fornicator or unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Stop right there and eyes up here. He's, he's clarifying too. He's like, hey, by the way, this isn't for uh, the non-believers. This is for the believers. For anybody who is a fornicator or, or an idolater or a coveter or, or he goes on to say a filthy person or who is an unclean person or who's a covetous man they have no inheritance in the kingdom of god now let me just clarify talk to a guy at the first service and he said that he struggles i said awesome that's cool and he looked at me he's like what are you talking about man i said that's awesome man the fact you struggle tells me that you're alive in christ the world today is not struggling they don't care they're turning it up they're turning down for what they're going bonkers they're going hard in the paint for the things of the world but if you as a man or a woman of god struggle with sin whether it's stuff you listen to i just can't stop listening to white zombie i just can't stop whatever the rage against the machine or you know yo mtv raps or i can't stop or i can't stop with this relationship but i, I want to and i i'm struggling if you're struggling here tonight to do the right thing i say amen Praise God. Praise God. That tells me that your inheritance, okay, is in the kingdom of God. That is what you value is what he values. You're hoping for what he wants for you, not what the world wants for you. But there are people whose inheritance is not in the Lord. It's what he says in verse 5. Their value is not in the things of God, the things of God that are both now and that are coming your way. But their value... He uses the word idol, idolater. What they worship is indeed their lifestyle, their pleasure, their reputation, their joy and their happiness and satisfaction in the wanton desires of their flesh. 
There are people today who will take the problems that you and I struggle with too, and they will, instead of going after them with zeal and attack and repentance, instead of doing that, they'll protect them and promote them and idolize them and worship them and say, this is actually who I am. I'm proud of this. This is protected and sanctified and holy ground to me. And God says, ooh, careful. That indicates that your value system is earthly, not heavenly. That what you're hoping in, what you're protecting, what you're known for on Facebook, what you deem is righteous and true in your life is unbiblical. And he says, your sanctification and your salvation is in question. If that's true, and I'm, I hope you understand the difference here. No one in here is perfect. All of us in here are perverted and upside down. Yet the ones who are believers in here know it and are calling God true and every man a liar and are saying, Lord, would you help me with this? Would you help me with this, this wandering eye? Would you help me with this rebellious heart? Would you help me with these dirty hands? Or would you help me, Lord? It's you I want, not me. And then there is another people group that say, my hands aren't dirty. At least not as dirty as theirs. This is okay for me. This is all right. My inheritance is in the things of the world, and this is what I did. I'm going to go this route because this is how I was made and how I am. Guess what? The way I was made and created and born is wrong. Have you come to realize that about yourself? I was born broken, and the Lord redeems me and pulls me out of darkness and delivers me into his marvelous light and begins to then clean up my soul and my heart and my mind. And he's saying to people, this is how it looks now. You walk as an imitator of God, as a child of God, as a lover of people around you, sacrificially and as an offering. It's beautiful. And you don't do these crazy things anymore in the world. And you don't talk like an idiot anymore because you'll act like an idiot eventually. Verse 6, listen to the warning. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Wow. Did you know that you can find psychologists and you can find educators and you can find blogs and groups and you can find all kinds of people that will tell you everything you're actually doing right now is completely normal, justified, and right? I don't care what you're doing. You can be a cannibal and you can find a camp. You can find a camp that will say, yeah, you know, not everyone's a cannibal, but if you want to be, that's good. Good for you. Just don't eat me, you know, whatever. You can find, let no one deceive you with empty words, he says. And I have talked to dozens of Christians that have found groups or camps or Greek word studies that justify their wanton ideas and their perversity and say, well, look, if you, if you take the Greek and dismantle it and then turn it upside down and do an origami pigeon, it actually says it's okay. You know, I'm like, what are you doing? It's clear. The letter of the law, the spirit of the law, knock it off. He says, don't be deceived with empty words. I'll end with a story. In 1914, 1912 actually, the Titanic set voyage from England to New York on April the 14th, actually April 10th. And it went on its voyage heading towards New York. It was the maid voyage of the Titanic. And uh, first class tickets were about $4,300 each at that time, over 100 years ago. 4300 bucks for first class from England to New York. Second class tickets were only 1700 bucks, And third class tickets to get on the ship were $30 just to get on the ship. I don't even know if they fed you. I'm not, I don't know how that worked. But you got on the ship and it began its journey. And four days into this journey... There was 2,201 souls on board. And as they navigated through the Atlantic waters there, you know that they eventually struck an iceberg. The iceberg they struck was said to be about 100 feet out of the water. And scientists say that when there's 100 
feet showing, there's about eight to ten times more unseen damage and wreckage and carnage. And so when they hit this iceberg, it was an immovable, unmovable object that pierced the whole of the ship. You guys have done your history. You know the story. As the boat began to take on water, though, they only had around 1,100, I'm sure, I'm sorry, they only had 20 lifeboats on, on board, which would only facilitate about 1,100 people. Not enough people. There would actually be more than about 1,400 or so people left on board, even if all of the boats were full to capacity. It wasn't equipped to save people because you know that that particular ship was, quote, at the time, virtually unsinkable. As a matter of fact, it's said, and it could be folklore, but somebody said even God himself could not sink this ship. And as it set sail and water began to go on, the captain, true story, Captain Andrew John Smith, didn't want to strike panic into the crowd. Didn't want to be, you know, uh, premature in his warnings to the people of the near danger. And so he instructed his crew and his staff and the entertainers and the musicians. He said, just act normal. As a matter of fact, act even more happy than you should. And he told the musicians, there were eight of them in number. He said, I need you to go to the ballroom and start playing a concert. I need you to give the impression that everything's okay. I don't want anybody to panic. And he wouldn't allow the life rafts, all of them to be deployed. Only a few of them were deployed. As a matter of fact, ultimately only 700 people would be rescued. 1,400 and about 30 people would perish to death that night. The captain himself and the eight musicians who were instructed, don't freak people out. Don't, don't act weird. And he instructed them to just play music. And in verse six, he says, don't be deceived by empty words. Don't be deceived by those people who say, don't worry. It's not a big deal. This won't. I'm telling you what, you guys and you gals are so blessed tonight. You have no excuse, no excuse at all to do damage to your body, to make mistakes, to blow it royally, to not know which road to go down. God has given you his word, which is profitable for correction and instruction, for reproof. That every man and every woman of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That the word of God would have access to your hearts. That God's heart would have access to your heart. That you would know why God loves you. God, are you just trying to be a weirdo? God, do you know how fun it is down here? Yes, he does. Lord, do you know that I'm trying to live my life and just have a good time? He says, yes, I do. That's why I've given to you the instructions. B-I-B-L-E, the Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's why I've given this to you so you would know what to do and know what not to do. I'm going to have the worship team come on up and prepare us for our last song. Jesus told a story. He told the story of a young man who lived with his dad in a Christian environment. And this dad was loving his kids and this kid had this desire to go do his own thing. He said, Dad, I don't like it at home. I want to go to the city. I want to have fun. Would you give me my inheritance and I'm going to go my way and do my own thing? And the dad with a broken heart and tears in his eyes said, son, I can't control you. You know what's right and you know where the road is, but here's the money. I love you. And this son then went to the city and said to his dad, see, I wouldn't want to be you. And went to the city and began to live his own way and do his own things. And you guys know the story. As he lived his own way and did his own things, he eventually found himself having a great time. Until he started to run out of time, and he ran out of his friends, and his friends left him, and so he found himself getting a job amongst the pigs, and a good Jewish boy would never even be around the pigs, and he began to serve these pigs, and one day he was so hungry, and his mistakes that he had made, he began to eat pig food. And the Bible says that here he is, smelling like swine, 
eating pig food, and the Lord began to soften his heart or maybe clear up his mind, one of the two. And he realized, what am I doing eating pig food? This is crazy. How did I get so far behind? How did I get here? And he had a thought. He said, I bet if I go home, my dad won't forgive me. My dad won't love me, but I bet my dad would at least hire me. I bet he would at least hire me to be his landscaper. That'd be a good deal. Then I could buy my own food that's not for pigs. And he began to humble himself and walk home. You guys know the story. And as he rounded the corner, he expected his dad to be there, grinding his fist mad at him, going to chew him out. But instead, what he saw was his dad looking every day, hoping that his son would return, that his son would come back. And when the dad saw the son, he shouted and told everyone fire up the barbecue get the fatted calf my son is here and immediately he took his jacket off and said son you smell like a pig here put my jacket on and covered his filthiness and he said i'm gonna feed you now you don't look like you've eaten properly and he said i'm gonna give to you and he pulled off his ring which was the family heir the signet ring and he says i'm gonna give you now my identity you're you're one with me and he began to party god's heart towards the wandering one, the rebel, who's done it your way. And I asked you that question earlier. Have you ever done it your way and got to where you wanted to go only to realize, uh, this isn't where I want to be. This isn't what I want to be in my life. Lord, would you forgive me? And the Lord forgives and grace flows. I'm going to have the lights turned low now and communion brought out. And I would have you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. As sheep, all having gone our own ways, men and women prone to wander we thank you for your word lord which doesn't change it doesn't alter instead it woos us and calls us out and says hey hey i got things for you set that junk down do not justify your rebellion anymore it will not lead you where you want to be it will not take you where you want to go it will not give to you that which you're longing for my way my route is what you're looking for and so for every man and every woman here tonight I want to give you an opportunity I want to give you an opportunity to worship the Lord and to say that he is right not that you're perfect not that you're even making promises tonight I'll never do this again Lord I'll never look at that again Lord but that you would in your heart have an opportunity tonight to say yes to God that God is true and that every man is a liar, that God is right and that you are wrong, that God knows in your learning. If you're here tonight and you would just say, yep, God's right. Everything he says is right. The letter of the law and the spirit of the law, it's all perfect. And I don't know what I'm doing and I need God's help to walk in the things of God and to walk orderly and to not be foul with my mouth and not let my members take over. And Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. Would you just right now worship him in that way? Raise your hand to the Raise your hand to the Lord and say, yep, Lord, you're it. You're it. Even point to him and just say, you're it, Lord. You're it. You're the right one. You're el numero uno. You're the supreme leader. And I need you, Lord. Put your hand up right now if you need the Lord to walk circumspectly, to walk rightly. You need him to change your insides. You have desires that are not right. They're not godly, not pure. They're going to cause pain. Raise your hand to the Lord and say, yes, Lord, I need you to deliver me from sin your will to be done in my life. Raise your hand right now. Lord, may you be pleased. You see your kids that want to imitate you as dear children. They want to walk in love. They want to walk in holiness in our hands. Lord, raise your hand right now if you need his help to do these things. You're surrendering to him tonight and him alone. And you'll walk with him as his spirit walks with you. Lord, you see hands going up and I pray for a blessing 
forgiveness to flow, Lord. Immediate restoration between you and your daughters, Lord. Between you and your sons, immediately, right now. Sweet healing in Jesus' name. Clarity, Lord, through your word. And I pray for power in our lives. That we would walk forward, not wanting our own wills. Because our wills lead to destruction, but wanting your will to be done, Lord. We raise our hands, we submit our lives to you. We do all this because Jesus died for us. We now celebrate at the table of communion together our new lives in Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.